Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm forced. Oh, what? hey, mama. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this is the Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or musical piece of cinema. Right before doing that, I said, let's keep this tight. <laughs> and I just drove right into a wall. So sorry. I just was not, uh, was not expecting that. Good job. You caught me off guard. Good. I didn't know I was going to do it until it happened. So, <laughs> well, so once again, this week we are, uh, continuing a theme, right? That's right. So last week we had a burning cruise ship and this week we have a hunk of hunk of burning love. <laughs> nice. Very, very good. Working it out. All right. Uh, and in the future, we're actually covering another five lettered film. We're going to cover Megan, which is Megan with a E or the E is a three. Mm. So we could, this could be three this. That's right. So <laughs> we've been, we've been busy this week and our brains reflect that. So apologies to everyone <laughs> listening. Uh, yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are talking about Elvis today. We're going to get into all of our feelings in just a little bit, but we are, there were a couple different angles that we considered looking at mm-hmm. for tying Elvis, the biopic to the news, yeah. right? I, you know, for instance, there are bound to be a lot of lawsuits in the coming years regarding AI and um, infringement of copyright uh, yeah. by absorbing uh, all of the music that is in our world right now and synthesizing synthesizing it into its own quote unquote original music. Right. Um, that was one potential that we thought of, and. Um, you know, I think that we also just considered the idea of like musicians and their catalogs, but it, we end, eventually landed on talking about Ed Sheeran, who is going through his own more traditional copyright lawsuit right now. Yeah. Turns out you don't need AI to infringe on copyright. You can do it with regular human beings, too. Good old fashioned way. Yeah. So, or not. Hmm. Well, Allegedly. Yeah, well, yeah. You be the judge. <laughs> Actually, you don't get to be we're the judge. All, there's a real judge. We're all going to be the fake judge. There's an actual judge. And then there's a real judge who we will talk about, Ooh. who I have feelings Uh-oh. about. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of feelings, I have many and several feelings about this movie, uh, which we'll get into in a little while. But why don't you go ahead and we'll just kick right off with the news story. All right, let's do it. Singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran is currently being sued for copyright infringement on the claim that his song, Thinking Out Loud, rips off Marvin Gaye's 1973 hit, Let's Get It On. In a most recent development, lawyers representing the heirs of Ed Townsend, the people suing Mm. uh, Ed Sheeran, have petitioned the judge to allow a YouTube clip of Sheeran himself playing a medley of the two songs live during a 2014 concert. Their claim that the video potentially uh, is valuable evidence for the jurors, potential yeah. jurors. So so you, what you're saying is- Yes. Uh, Ed Sheeran wrote a song. That's right. The parts of that song sound like Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Um, allegedly. And, allegedly. And uh, the writer of said song- One is, of the writers. One of the writers is suing Ed Sheeran and, and the, is hoping to prove that with a YouTube clip of Ed Sheeran- Basically doing his own compare and contrast. Of, right. <laughs> okay. Yes. They caught Ed Sheeran yeah. red-handed. Um, sure. sure. I telling mean, on matches himself. His, matches his hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so, okay. So not the writer of the song, right? That was Ed Townsend. Uh-huh. Uh, he has passed away. Uh, okay. But his heirs. Uh, okay. The, the people who are actually making money off of his stuff for doing nothing. Got it. Cool. Yes. Sure. Um, just as like how heirs work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Nepo babies, right? I guess they, you have to have like been famous for something to have like ridden the, the coattails. Is yeah. is a lawsuit in your parents' name nepotism? You know what? I'm going to say sure. Let's go for it. Why not? <laughs> they didn't do anything to create the IP that they're profiting off of. No. So yeah, it's they got it from their parents. Right, right, right. So this was a lawsuit that was filed back in 2017. Again, it was the the heirs of Ed Townsend, and he is uh, one of the co-writers on Let's Get It On. But I think it's also important to note because it, uh, Marvin Gaye is the singer of Let's Get It On. That is correct. I and- just checked. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, obviously there was a more famous lawsuit uh, that was, that happened 
a few years back yes. where they sued Robin Thicke and won over the song Blurred Lines. Right. I honestly, I don't really recall it, except I do recall them saying that it would potentially open people up to a lot of lawsuits right. because it was such a big, um, it, it, it was such a big victory for yeah. them. Um, and was very questionable, I think. And like they weren't expected to win right. because then the implications of that win would have meant that any similar court structure could have been grounds for a lawsuit, even if it, the there was no proof of intent for right. theft, I, basically. I don't recall the exact details yeah. of it, but um, it was speculated at the time that it would open up a lot of musicians to yeah. other potentially frivolous copyright infringement lawsuits, hence why we are talking about this today. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So this is a case that's been going on for a while. Again, it was filed in 2017, and it only was recently decided that it was going to be going to trial. Mm. Um, the judge for the case, I think, decided in 2019 in a ruling when he said that he sent the case to trial that um, that there was a specific clip that he highlighted in his decision in which he said that he thought, the judge is saying this, by the way, yeah. that he thought that potential jurors, quote, may be impressed by footage of Shirin's performance, which shows him seamlessly transitioning between the two songs. Okay. So impressed, not like uh, they may be uh, Look at his influenced. Chops. Like, yeah, yeah, it's weird, right? Because it says they may be impressed and it's like, well, who cares if they're impressed or right. not? Right, like what right. do you mean by that? Yeah. yeah, and so it's, what's interesting about this is that the, uh, you know, I went through all of the, what are the arguments that I could find in the news articles on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. um, on Sheeran's side, the the argument that they give is that, like, first, first and foremost, that the two songs have completely different vibes. Mm-hmm. So they say that Thinking Out Loud, the name of the song that uh, Sheeran wrote and performed, has a, quote, somber, melancholic tone um, addressing long-lasting romantic love. Yeah. While Let's Get It On is a sexual anthem. Yeah. The, their words. <laughs> well, I mean, sure, sure. Not, <laughs> not wrong. Not wrong. Right. Um, they also said that the similarities between the two, especially when you watch this video, really are unprotectable elements. They have the same chord structure. Right. And maybe like a similar beat to yeah. the drums. Yeah. But it's not, you can't, you can't copyright a chord structure. Right, right. Uh, you, yeah. It's like, there are times where like, if we were to play something on this podcast and we were monetizing it, there's like a limit to the amount that we can use of a song or something like that. Mm. Um, and like, you can't uh create a court like you couldn't play more than like three notes of happy birthday in a movie without having to pay licensing fees and right. stuff like that but there are rules about like when when you can and can't use stuff and there's no rule that says like okay uh this song hootie and the blowfish is hold my hand is gcd you can't make any other songs ever that go gcd that's like a thousand songs that do that right yeah. i mean no, that's exactly right and and like it's it, you would just the Beatles would have been copying off of every single yeah. other. I mean, like it well, just everybody's been copying off the Beatles, so right? It's, yeah. Exactly. It's just that's just how music works, yeah. right? And the and the way that music works is that we have these foundational foundational elements yeah. that are recognizable, and then it's all variations on a theme, right? Yeah. And and hopefully it's more variants than not. But like you just the same chord structures appear over and over again because that's the basis for pop music and right. that's the basis for how we expect songs to go. There are just yeah. certain things that are repeated, right? Uh, most pop songs will start with verse, chorus, verse, chorus, hook. Bridge, yeah, you know, yeah, bridge, or bridge, um, bridge, chorus. Outro, yeah, that's Outro, it. Outro, yep. right? Like that's, that's the, but you can't copyright that structure right. of that song. So... It's it's interesting. You also can't copyright just a drum beat. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and so their argument is that the, there are similarities, and, and this is the reason that you can make up mashups. There's an entire section of YouTube that's nothing but mashups of songs with the same yeah. chord structure. Yeah, that was a big thing when I was in uh, San Francisco in like the late aughts. Is there was a place? It was the DNA Lounge, mm -hmm. and they would do mashup. Uh, like shows, like mm -hmm. there would be a DJ that would take two songs that were similar and mash them up, and that would be the thing that they play. And it was always like some weird, like you know, synth pop from the '80s mixed with like Britney Spears, and there were two well-known songs, and just 
push them together. And it was, uh, it was the thing. It was a very popular thing to do back in the day. Right. I used to just play acoustic mashups of songs all the time. Sure. I did one of like a Britney Spears uh, and a Justin Timberlake song mashed together. Ooh, bad uh, combo. And also or, you are now uh, sued. Sorry. Ge- or genius. <laughs> uh, yeah, genius. You are now being sued by the estate. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so they can have all the money I made off of that yeah, they- <laughs> acoustic cover in my bedroom. <laughs> uh, right. So, you know, they're also arguing that this would have a chilling effect on the music industry because, we, again, we have these mashups. Yeah. You also have these mashups and medleys that are performed by artists at their concerts. And mm-hmm. if all of a sudden you're going to say, oh, well, I have video performance of you mashing up your song with this other popular song. Right. Therefore, you are in violation of copyright. Right. Never going to do that again. Uh, yeah. Then you're just going to completely change the way that people are performing and right. putting together music. Yeah. Um, so it is it, it's it's interesting because then I was trying to find, well, what is the what is the Townsend? side of this argument what what are they arguing is the reason for yeah. this and it's, uh, we want more money is the argument man it's not much it's not much more than that uh, from what i could uh, find uh, the the literally like the reasons that they listed off because like I, I feel like the reasons that are listed you know if we're not taking into account having heard the songs at all mm-hmm. and we'll play the songs in a little bit <laughs> but i think that the reasons that were listed by the sheeran you know, lawyers sounds reasonable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That that makes sense to me as a person who yeah. enjoys music, who plays music, sure. uh, who writes music. It just, that makes sense to me. Um, so the Townsend side of the argument is that they copied, quote, the heart of the song. Oh. Did you know that, that songs have songs, a, songs have hearts. There's a heart that you can just copy. Control <laughs> right. C. Control C, control, control V. v. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, boy, it, now he would have been fine had he copied the stomach but she just can't take the heart of the song. <laughs> <laughs> so they they copied the heart of Let's Get It On and repeated it continuously throughout the song. Um, melodically, harmonically, and rhythmically, the compositions in Thinking Out Loud are not the product of independent creation. Hmm. It's interesting because like there is nothing that's the product of independent creation. Everything is just a a, a ripple on a ripple. Like, right. uh, so to give you an example, maybe you mentioned this, but like Sam Smith, uh, stay with me. Or right. It, like got sued by Tom Petty mm-hmm. because it's the same basic melody and chord structure as, uh, won't back down. Mm-hmm. And he said, Oh yeah, that was my influence. Like I, I have heard that song so many times. Love it. Definitely just wrote that down and made a song out of it. Right. My bad. Here's the settlement. And like, so mm-hmm. he just like paid the, the fee or whatever. And when you hear it, it's like the, you know, so the, the argument that um that that the sheer inside says where it's totally different vibes yeah. doesn't really like I don't really care about that argument as right. much because the example that you just gave the songs have totally different vibes right the no yeah, I yeah. won't back down is like a defiant sort of anthem whereas sure, yeah. stay with me is a love song right. so the the um the theme of the song the is not really as important right. as did you take the melody <laughs> right well, also also like Sam <laughs> Smith could structure. have fought it in court and maybe he would have prevailed. But like, I think he realized he's like, ah, that's where I heard that before. Right. And so, you know, it's like, whatever. What was the thing Which that I, we just I watched? Respect, oh, it was an episode of the show um, with Natasha Leone. Oh, uh, Poker Face. Poker Face. There was an episode. Yeah, with the magpie. Where, the hard, where yeah. there was a, a song that we don't want to give to, because it's a great show and you should watch it. But there is definitely an episode where, you know, you find out that there is a song that has been copyrighted violated and you find out and it's uh it's it's just very funny right but it happens all the time you hear songs and then you go and you think that you've made up a new song it turns out that it is uh it's bach right it's the abc's is actually just uh beethoven right yeah (laughs) It's uh, at the, it's, everything is just something that uh, Bright Eyes already did. Cause he just uses all the major chords and just sings his little <laughs> song. It's like, whatever. Right. So that was their first argument, which again is like, this, uh, this sounds not yeah. like it's very, you know, this doesn't sound very great. But then their next argument is there, they said, well, the judge said it would resonate with the jurors. Oh, well, so this is their argument for submitting the video, not for winning the case right or is it well it's their argument for submitting the video but also like for like for the case itself too they're saying that like you know that well for submitting the video yes absolutely um and then they're also another argument they had for submitting the video and this is something that just 
So they said that for submitting the video, the judge said that the yeah, yeah. jury might be impacted and might find it valuable or whatever. So their final argument is basically that they don't think that the video would have any impact on the concert industry. Oh, that's silly. That's very silly. Right. They're just trying to come well, up with rebuttals to what was said by it's speculative issue. that it would have impact, uh, but I don't. But it's also speculative that would not have impact. Like nobody actually knows. Right. What, There's no way that you can see into the future. Right. So yeah, it's just a, a best faith effort, which is like, I mean, if this does get used against them, like I, it makes sense that people would be more reticent mm -hmm. to say like, oh, our song kind of sounds like this other song that has litigious right holders. I guess we should just not mention that or whatever. Right. Right. Now the final person, I guess that has say in this is the judge. Yeah. And in previous rulings, um, uh, a judge has said, Judge Stanton um, had said that the songs had similar percussion and bass lines and that listeners might consider the song's aesthetic appeal to be similar. Mm. But again, having similar, like if you have a similar bass line, it's because you have a similar chord structure. Right. And, right. And like, or because you have a similar chord structure and similar percussion. Right. But again, having similar chord structure and percussion doesn't mean that you are copying off of that song. Right. Yeah. I also feel like the Ramones estate could just sue every punk band that came up. Like right. every punk song is dun 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 dun. It's like that's, it's very common. Like this is all just normal stuff. It's power chords. Like what are we doing? Like Creed could just sue every shitty band from the early aughts. Every and like Pearl Jam could sue Creed. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And he also said that he found substantial similarities between several of the two works' musical elements. Is this judge a musician? Like, I don't know. It's very strange. I, yeah. Like, I um, don't, look, I have no love for Ed Sheeran, especially. And I, 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 I do tend to like come down on the side of like, yeah, artists shouldn't have their works copied and like stolen. Right. Right. Like, I think, I think that that's fair. Um, like if I were to write a song, that's like all the lonely fellas, all the lonely fellas, all the lonely fellas, <laughs> the like, lonely fellas. yeah, then I should get sued. Right. <laughs> the most lonely fellas. <laughs> the lonely fellas. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I should get sued several times for many reasons <laughs> to prevent that from ever happening. But like, I think like if you just, you know, if you have a song that's uh, in a similar structure, like it's not, there, there's nothing that someone's like, oh man, I didn't really like Ed Sheeran until I realized that he stole this Marvin Gaye song and now I love him. I it's mean, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Full disclosure. I very much dislike Ed Sheeran. Sure. Um, not as a person. I don't know him. He's probably fine, but I feel like just his music is cloying. It doesn't, it's not particularly original. Sure. Um, he seems like he just reminds me of all the dudes from college who would like play sappy music to try and like get girls, Sure. you know, but so every fella, all the dudes who's been a musician, who learned <laughs> guitar in high school yeah. and then went off to college and said, aha. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of, of that. Right. Um, and there's a lot of them in Tallahassee, <laughs> <laughs> but I, that doesn't mean that he stole this song and there's even, and so I'll play you some, I'll, I'm, I'm going to play some stuff for you. Okay, right. All right. And, um, it, we can, we can sort of, uh, be the, the, our own judges here in this room. Okay. We're going to say that this is fair use because of news. Yeah. Well, also we don't make any money off this podcast, so <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Free speech. You, you want to you want to sue us? Eat shit. We have nothing. Allegedly. <laughs> um, alleged to, to steal a line from one of my favorite musicians, we are dirt. We can't be crushed. Who? That's uh, from uh, Run the Jewels. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Now we're going to get sued by Run the Jewels. <laughs> <laughs> they seem fine. They seem cool. Killer Mike. LP. His name is Killer Mike. That's, I mean, one of them. You know, he's cool, though. He's he's a killer on the mic. That's the... Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, let's start first by listening to Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. I went ahead and just got right sure. to the, the part of the song that I think uh, is probably the most relevant. All right. Audience, keep your pants on. But, oh, is that what he meant by let's get it? He just meant, like, let's get your pants on. <laughs> All right, so we we all know that song. Mm -hmm. Classic. It's wonderful. The lesser known Ed Sheeran song, at least for me, for you, for maybe a lot of people who are over the age of 35. 
I don't know. Or uh, just have good taste in music. <laughs> sure. Um, is the song Thinking Out Loud. Have you heard this song before? Never in my life. You know what you may have? Mm. Uh, my, in my, commercials. All right. I don't watch a lot of commercials. I don't have a ton of like exposure to new music. I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty lame at this point in my life. Go ahead. Hit me up. All right. This is the song Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Once again, I forwarded a little bit. Darling, I will be loving you till we're 70. Baby, my heart could still fall as hard at 23. And I'm thinking about. I hear Let's it. I do it hear on. it. Yeah, I mean, I do hear it. Um, it's not f- like there's in Let's Get It On. There's this instrumentation in between the boom, boom, right? So it's not. So he's taken out a lot of what's in the middle, but the structure and the the sort of scaffolding is there. Whether he did that sort of you know intentionally with knowledge or it just kind of happened, I don't know. I mean, um, I think that. That pop music just has the same three. Co- it's the yeah. same three chord, or yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's. I mean, I think I looked it up. It's something like E minor G, E minor D. Yeah. That's just those three chords, E minor G and D, repeated over and over again ad infinitum. Like that's. Yeah, it's not. I mean, and it's got a similar uh, tempo. Uh huh. And I feel like it's just kind of chill, but that's, that's kind of it. I think it'd be hilarious if it, like the settlement was like, okay, I'll only play this at double speed. <laughs> uh, sorry, sir, but you can only play this as a death metal song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think it would be, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to know with this, like where this could go. Cause I, a, I don't know the law well enough and B, I don't know, like you, I, I think what would be required is either incredibly close similarity mm. such that they're hard to distinguish from one another or some evidence, emails, texts, recordings from the studio where he says like, ah, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use that Marvin Gaye fella song to make myself a pop single hit. I don't know what Ed Sheeran sounds like. Well, tell so, me if you think that this performance yeah. uh, would count as any of that. Yeah, hit me. So can we sue him for being tacky? Because I think that's the bigger issue. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, Man, I just have to say the problem again mm-hmm. is that is post facto. Right. It is an indication that he realized the similarities in the songs and therefore performed it in concert. But it's not an indication that the intent was to leverage the success of one song to improve the success of his own. Also, I think there is an idea in the in in civil lawsuits of damages, right? So what would the perceived damages be to Marvin Gaye's estate or to the estate of, I'm sorry, the songwriter, um, Ed Townsend? What would the perceived damages be uh, because Ed Sheeran's song was, a, song was a success? Like nobody is not listening to Let's Get It On because they're like, oh, I'll just listen to Ed Sheeran instead. Like it, that doesn't seem there. No, why, like how could there be damages in this? Case? I mean, it's not damages. It's just like give us money. I know, but like the 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 idea of the civil lawsuit is you were harmed somehow civilly, right? Well, not criminally, but like there are there is infringement of your property, and therefore you it it affects the way that you 
can make money from that property. And I don't think that's the case here. I don't think that it's necessarily like it affects the way that you could. I mean, the way that they could have made money off of that is that he would have paid them up front to use the song the, as the like, a, Interesting. You know, I mean, like that's what, you know, Taylor Swift has the one song where she's um, the she's she's using a sample of um, the song where they talk about taking your shirt off uh, too sexy. Right. Oh, I thought you I'm were going to say Petey Pablo. I was like, Taylor Swift did Petey Pablo? Let's go. <laughs> so, like, I'm too sexy, right? She oh, okay. she sampled that song and then it came out and everybody was like, oh my God, she stole. And she's like, no, I paid them money for that. <laughs> right. Uh, and then yeah. Olivia um, Rodrigo. Rodrigo sampled a song of Taylor Swift's and okay. so on and so forth, right? Like everybody samples off yeah. of everybody, but they pay, they make the acknowledgement, they pay yeah. them money. So, so one other lawsuit and one other thing that I'm going to play for you yeah. is a different lawsuit oh, okay. that had to do with Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. He has been uh, like, I do feel bad for this guy. Cause I, I genuinely don't think that this song was a ripoff of okay. the other. I, like when I listen to it, it does, doesn't sound that way to me. Right. Okay. Uh, that said, when I listen to this other song, it is very clearly seems like it's a, a ripoff. And I think that he and his people came to this realization because they ended up paying the uh, person who sued him $20 million. Whoa. All right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Man, I got to find me something I can do to have people steal it for $20 million. <laughs> it's like a reverse heist, right? Like you get someone to steal something from you and then <laughs> they give you the money. You incept them with right. your song Hell yeah. that, that you just put up on YouTube one day. Hell yeah. <laughs> Reverse Ocean's Eleven. Let's go. Right. Ocean's right. Eleven bars. <laughs> so he's been sued a couple of different times, right? He was sued for his song Shape of You um, and the judge uh, ruled in Sheeran's favor. Mm. Um, and, you know, he... he uh, didn't have to pay anything for this. However, for his song photograph look at this photograph <laughs> that's exactly nickelback that's who he stole it from <laughs> every time i do it makes me laugh they got more than a nickel back though hey oh, okay i'm just kidding that was terrible loose today i know ladies no, and gentlemen <laughs> so the guy though that um that he that he i guess that claims that he stole it from them um got 20 million dollars for this and so uh let's see if i can pull it up for you really quickly the guy's name is Matt Cardle. Okay. Right on. I don't know who that is. No. So. Um, I was thinking Matt Wardell, who did like a, the, he did like a, an acoustic version of a hip hop song of, um, mm. but that I was, even, I know it. no, it's not that any guy. Of these people. It's no. a different person. You so Matt, Jalen Waddle, the receiver for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> like I, no. So Matt Cardle did the song called Amazing. And then Ed Sheeran put out a song called Photograph. Okay. All right. Same so way. this is a comparison. And I believe that Ed Sheeran's song plays first and Matt Cardle's song plays second. Okay. All right. So you can keep me inside the pocket of your ripped jeans holding me closer till our eyes meet you won't ever be alone wait for me to come home how did you So you just put fake gun fingers to your head <laughs> for, at the end of that song. They they suck. God, I can't believe we have to devote so much time and energy to music that is so bad. Oh, <sighs> well, so, but but in terms of similarities, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean that one definitely was was the same thing, one hundred percent the same thing. Again, I don't know if you can prove intent, but it was much closer. Right. So I think for me, the two criteria are, can you prove intent to steal the the melody or is it such a close melody um, that it's obvious one is doing the same thing throughout guitar, bass and vocals as the other? Right. And I think I'm I'm also one for like ver- uh, visuals. OK. Right. So I'm going to just show you really quickly. Uh, uh, this is one on top of each other. 
This is yeah. the chords. Yeah, yeah. The chord structure. It's it's almost identical yeah, yeah. when yep. you place it to get like against each other. And then if you look at the the red notes right here of the melody or the chorus, yeah. Um, it is. I mean, the it same. is the same. The same. Yeah. And AI took this <laughs> and repurposed it. Yeah. And cast it off as as its own. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ed Sheeran could be an AI for all we know. Like. <laughs> Just saying, keep eyes on it. I've had a beef with Ed Sheeran ever since he randomly appeared in that one episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why, man? Why are you ruining my episode yeah. of Game of Thrones? Turns Just out. Just completely taking us out of that episode. Yeah, yeah, it turns out we didn't need Ed Sheeran to ruin Game of Thrones at That's all. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, like I said, I don't have anything against the guy. Not not really. Um, but this is a case, I think, in which he settled. It's pretty clear that he uh that that he copied off of this dude yeah because like there's no way that that would have come out of thin air right right i don't know if it was on purpose or not um you see this kind of stuff all the time katie perry had a version of a song that she was almost identical to another pop star that came out around the same time yeah um and it 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 happens right you just you're listening to something and you're like jamming and you're like that's great and then right. you go into the studio and you accidentally do a thing but i don't think that i just don't think that this particular song is a ripoff yeah. of marvin gay um well, not on purpose yeah. maybe in vibe maybe he's just uh maybe he's learned to steal more effectively he yeah maybe he's just taken the the vibes and and the work and um transforming it into something that white on audiences would like hey, even more. Yeah, that's the segue I was going with. So th thank you for getting there. Yeah. We're going to talk about somebody <laughs> else who stole music and used it for his own fortune and fame. <laughs> you can say anything in that voice and I it's going to sound, sound nefarious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Elvis is actually portrayed uh, is as being, you know, uh, the good guy in this in the film Elvis. I mean, kind of and, a dullard, but uh, hey, you know. Um, but being he's manipulated by mm. the evil Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, so, for just a quick overview of this film, it was released in 2022 on June the 24th. Uh, it was directed by Boz Lerman. It was his sixth film. Uh, do you know some of the big hits from Boz? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet is, is my favorite of his. Yep. Gatsby. He did great Gatsby. He did the one where they, uh, with, uh, Moulin Rouge. That's right. Good job. Yeah. The only ones you're missing are his original, like his first film in, in, uh, Australia and his film Australia. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, I got to, got to make one about my people where I came from. I'm going to make one called Australia. Okay. That's my that's it. That's my Australian <laughs> accent for now. That probably doesn't sound anything like Boz Lerman. Wacky do. <laughs> there you go. That's my that's my mom accent from Bluey. That's right. Uh, he also did a Netflix series called The Get Down, um, which all of these are are basically heavily musically influenced, if not direct musicals themselves. Mm -hmm. He uh, was one of the writers as well, along with uh, collaborators from his previous films, Sam Brommel and Craig Pierce. Uh, that is the sort of production entity. I think the the rights to the Elvis story had been held by the studio, and then um, they they hired Boz Lerman to do it, I think in like 2014. Yeah. Um, and then he just didn't, it just wasn't a go until in 2019, Tom Hanks signed on as uh, Colonel Tom Parker. And then it was a go and it got interrupted numerous times thanks to COVID. So sure. it was actually a year's worth of filming um, overall in Australia. So uh, that is that is the the setup for the film. We can obviously talk through some of the plot, although I don't, know that there's much to go through there because it's the course of Elvis's life. So uh, born in the South, lived in Memphis. Really learned, quickly, yeah. before we go any further, wasn't Tom Hanks recovering and his wife, weren't they recovering from COVID early in the pandemic in Australia? Yeah, he was in the, doing this movie. Yes. Yeah, you pieced it together. You got it. <laughs> All right. That's. Did you see my face working yeah. on it? I was yeah. like, wait, hold on a second. Okay, yeah, let's keep going. He was in Australia for this movie. <laughs> that's when I was he like, got COVID. he was in Australia with COVID. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the film start it is from Tom Parker's perspective, or is it, he is at least the narrator and mm -hmm. the primary uh, motivator of the plot. And the beginning of this movie is at the end of his life. He gets sick, has a heart attack, and is seeing things through flashback. And I, I don't exactly know how to describe it because it is incredibly chaotic. In my letterbox review of this movie, I described it as, as if an AI 
uh, was asked to write a movie as Cocaine's perspective on Elvis. It was just like it's a it's a dying man's fever dream of you know of of life in which he is the villain, but he sees himself as the hero. Yeah. And also a lot of drugs. Yeah, and it's like very frenetic. Um, and and I would say that actually works out pretty well for the first half of the movie. We watched it in two parts because uh, you know bedtimes and kids and everything. And also, it's ridiculously it's two long. and a half hours for some reason. And the first half was basically Elvis uh, as a as a kid. And this was apparently when he lived in the poor and predominantly black neighborhoods of his youth. Um, and they, they, you know, talked to how he heard music at the, you know, sort of speakeasies. He heard music at the gospel churches. He heard music at the, um, like Beale street in Memphis. Um, and they, the movie sort of portends that that's where he got his, uh, like his background for his music. He's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I just, Oh, everybody. I just listen to that music all the time. And that's why that's what I sing. But like in real life, his, he actually had country background and white gospel background. And so it was like one of many things that he listened to. He listened to a lot of music. But right. I mean, but he also did grow up in, in a sure. predominantly black, like yep. poor neighborhood. Yep. And, yep. and he attended uh, black churches with his, his friend, right. uh, but he also attended white churches later on that were with his mother. So it's, it, he, it's this movie like really leans heavily on like, Hey, he didn't like steal this music. He just grew up around it and that's all he knew. And I it's think- like, he definitely, took elements of the music to make himself successful. And, and that's just what he did. It's not like he was thinking of a bigger picture. He was like, how do I make good music? And I can take elements from this music to do that. Right. Well, I think that it it almost like does itself a disservice to not include the other elements of his life from which he drew his inspiration. Right. If you're saying like, Oh, he directly pulled exclusively from this is, which is what it kind of makes it sound like that's like his, when he's having his, you know, seizures or whatever, um, his like epileptic, he's with the Holy ghost now, uh, listening to music. It makes it seem like his soul inspiration was this soul was the soul that's inspiration. right inspiration uh and that's you know it's very clearly not true if you just listen to his music right yeah. and i read an article as i was doing something for this and it was i think bb king who was saying that you know he when he first started or was it, it was an interview he said that when he first started he was i mean he he had a lot of like rockabilly influence yeah, yeah, yeah. as well you know and so it's not when when i listen to it it's hard for me to say like oh that's definitely you know taking from jazz and R&B and like soul music um, because there's so much of a spin on it. I couldn't quite like place it. Yeah. Um, But when you say, oh, it's like a mixture of a bunch of different things, like that's almost, it's better, right? Sure, yeah. It's like for him to say like, oh, I was exposed to this as youth and I used that in making music along with some of my country influences, some of my Western influences, whatever. It makes it seem a little less like nefarious. Right. Um, And also like, at that time when he was making his first, you know, songs, it wasn't the case that he was like, I'm going to take this music and use it. And that's going to get, make me popular. Like some radio stations wouldn't play Elvis because they said that his music sounded too black. Right. So <laughs> it wasn't like there was a guarantee of success for him doing that. Right. Right. But it I'm- also says more about the audiences in America that that type of music or some version of it had existed and never been supported by American audiences until Elvis made it palatable with a pretty face and shaking hips. Like that's the bigger. I mean, with a pretty face and shaking hips. And then also because he's, because he's white, yes, yes, because he's a white person making that music. I mean, like that, like little Richard has shaken hips and a pretty face and, and uh, yeah. And uh, certainly would, did not have the same impact as Elvis. That's true. Although I would say like little Richard definitely, has quite the impact on, on army and rock and roll. Like he's it, there, there was a, a, th- a point in the movie where little Richard's performing tutti frutti and Elvis is like, I got to do a version of that song. And, uh, he, he, in real life he does, but little Richard's like way out was out popularized, uh, Elvis's like, so, right. You know, it, it was, um, <laughs> little Richard actually hated Elvis's version, but it turns out that it didn't matter because it was Little Richard's that was successful. Right. No, I mean, absolutely. But like even Little Richard admits, right? He, he there's So here's a quote that I have from him. He says, it, quote, if Elvis had been black, he wouldn't have been as big as he was. 
if I was white, do you know how huge I'd be? If I was white, I'd be able to sit on top of the White House. A lot of things they would do for Elvis and Pat Boone, they wouldn't do for me. Sure. That's, that's all fair. Yeah. I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. I am just saying like, there are, there are instances where some people sort of outpaced what was expected and Little Richard was one. Like, Oh, you know. for sure. Um, that being said, so the beginning of the movie is a lot of uh, Elvis's early childhood, his first song, and his meeting with Tom Parker, um, who was a carny. <laughs> uh, so never trust uh, the carnies. There was a uh, element where Elvis is leaning up against a uh, the side of a tent mm-hmm. and the camera blurs Elvis. And in the background, you see uh, a, a shot of a sign that says the geek. Right. And so if you want to know all about the geek, please go back to last year's Oscar race episode and listen to uh, our, our coverage of Nightmare Alley. Right. Well, we had a couple different, not homages, but like uh, cultural touch points to last year's Oscar race, mm-hmm. right? So there was the geek and the carnival and mm-hmm. everything like that that we saw. And then also um, early on, there was that one kid who's tall and lanky. He oh, was in uh, power. Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah. yeah, he's in power of the dog. Yep. Um, he plays Jimmy Roger Snow, who is Hank Snow's brother, I believe. Right. Yeah. So uh, it was just, it was very interesting early on to be like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so very quickly, I'll just, I'll round through this. Uh, the early parts of the film, he's starting to get a name for himself, shaking his hips. Women mm-hmm. are going crazy. There's a lot of that. And back and forth with Colonel Tom Parker, who's like, don't do that now. Whatever his accent was. I can't believe we had to listen to that accent for the entire I- movie. Okay. So, okay. I, cause I was curious and I did look it up and I guess like Colonel Tom Parker was like Dutch. He was Dutch. He was from Amsterdam originally and came here when he was 20, but like the actual talking accent was a Southern accent. Right. Well, so he had a Southern accent that he would put on. Of course. Yeah. And then he had like his own actual accent, which is a lot more subtle. This accent felt bad. He was doing gold member from Austin Powers. Accent felt. I want gold. It's like. It felt almost anti-Semitic in a way. (laughs) But it's not Semitic. But but it was not, but it was not, but I was just like, in a way, like, I was like, are you trying to do a very bad, like, stereotype Jewish act? Like it just. And combined with the makeup. Right. It's like. It was just, it was. It said it took five hours a day or whenever he had to be in the makeup, it took five hours to apply it. I'm like, for this? It's like he doesn't look a he doesn't look like the real Tom Parker if you look at the the images, but he doesn't even look like a person really. He just looks like a goo. It's like a reminiscent sort of of um the penguin from <laughs> Batman. Sure. I love Tom Hanks so much. Yes. But this ain't it. Yeah. The it this is this is just like this is not. But I mean, again, neither of us were particularly excited about this film. So, right in the film, he has this Dutch accent Um, in Baz Luhrmann apparently wanted to do that to sort of other him. Right. So rather than giving him sort of a southern accent, even one that would be fake, he's like, well, if we do the Dutch accent, people are going to know he's you know outside of the (sighs) bounds of polite society. As though we didn't know that from his actions and his behaviors. Or just the way that he looks at the lighting. And this is is my problem with Baz Luhrmann is everything's a hat on a hat on a hat. It's like he has to be so ostentatious and over the top with everything. And and this is like very clear in the way that he cuts back and forth so quickly between time periods and actions and and people and all this stuff. And now it's a comic book. Right. And it's like and the way he does that without um, a lot of like intent it seems or or with so many intents perhaps right it's just like it's like cocaine made this movie (laughs) i yeah i i I think that the problem that i had with with it basically the entire time is exactly this like embellishment that we have with the accent that's just not how he spoke right and and so you don't know what is true or not Right. Yeah. Every single thing that I would watch, I was like, oh, that's interesting, I guess, if it's true or yeah. it's completely made up and this is just nonsense. Right. Like, so uh, to, to get it on or get on with it is apparently Tom Parker had no problem in real life with Elvis, like shaking his hips and gyrating and stuff. Right. He was like, this is what gets his name in the press yeah. and this is what gets attention. All attention is good. Keep it up. Like he wasn't trying to stop him. Right. Why would he try and stop him? Why would he think anything? Why would he think anything other than all attention is good when he's the person who's making I hate Elvis buttons? Exactly. And uh, making money off of it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Even the even the film contradicts itself in that regard, which is ridiculous. Um, But anyway, uh, that's the first like third of the film. Then we get to like sort of mid period Elvis where he 
um, gets drafted, apparently not because he was drafted in real life, but because um, Tom Parker wanted to like rebrand his image as mm-hmm. like a clean cut American guy so he could be more effective in the movies. They both he and Elvis uh, thought that rock and roll was temporary. And so they were trying to plan and move to his next stage of his career, which was acting. Um, and then while he's there, his mom passes away, I think at the age of 44. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elvis uh, comes back, starts acting, acts all the way up until I think 1969. That woman was supposed to be 44 years old. Yes. Do you know uh, who's supposed to originally play that role? No. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so don't feel too bad. Maggie's, Maggie's looking great, but that's, uh, you know, that, that, that was a rough, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do want to, before we move on too, too far, I do just want to take a second for like the completely over the top ridiculous, like line read of, of Tom Hanks is saying like, he's what? Yeah. And just looking like a hound dog in a cartoon. Yeah. It just was. I'll say, I'll say he's a what? It yeah. was just so incredibly over the top and unnecessary. And I just. Uh... Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Not ideal. Uh, anyway. So the, then the middle part of the movie is like, he is. Uh, he's been acting. He feels like he's done enough. He's not getting the roles he wants or whatever in the movie. I don't know if that's actually true in real life. He was still acting when he decided to go back and do music. Mm-hmm. Like he had one last role in, in 69, but, uh, he was doing his TV special, which was his big comeback special in the movie. It was pitched as like, Oh, he's supposed to be doing a Christmas special with ugly sweaters and you know stuff. That's relatively true. It was, right. uh, it was a Christmas special, but, um, it wasn't, like that Tom Parker was like so domineering. They they did have the director and another producer like try and keep him away from it to sort of like not have him influence it. Mm. But Elvis still got to do whatever Elvis wanted to do because, hey, he's Elvis. Right. Um, so that special was big. It brought him back. And then the last part of the film is him going to Vegas and sort of living out the rest of his life playing concerts in, on stage in Vegas, right. which was the last seven years of his life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the And that's it. Like... The first half of this movie gets you right up until, or, you know, first half or three-fifths of this movie gets you right up until the Christmas, or the, the comeback special. Mm-hmm. And then from the comeback special until the end, it's really just that. And then his preparation for the show in Vegas. The first half is very frenetic and covers so much stuff. And, like, I never felt like I knew what was going to happen next. And the back half of this film felt very much like standard biopic for a musician. And so it was weird how it kind of like I was like, oh, this movie, while it's not my cup of tea, it does feel very like 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 motivated. And I don't know what's coming next. I'm it's full of surprises. I think it's very interesting, even Mm -hmm. though I'm not really that like into the subject matter. But then at the like we watched it for the second night. I was just like, I don't think this stuck anywhere close to what I was expecting for the landing. They had like the scene where Priscilla was leaving. Right. And it just turned into like the same scene from Ray or like the same scene from Walk the Line. It's like any biopic where like, hey, you're doing drugs and I'm going to leave you. It's like, fine. We've seen that scene a thousand times. They didn't do it differently at all. Well, the way that they did it differently is there was absolutely no lead up to it. I mean. (laughs) There was no, there was like zero indication except for like the one scene where he's going around and mouth, open mouth kissing. Like every woman. 30 women in the audience at his show, which like gross. Yes. And I, I I looked it up because I was like, is this just the thing at the time? Like I just, I, what, I, what I looked up was like, when did Richard Dawson host? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the I think prices, he was like 76 right? or something. He was, like he was 75 to 85 yeah. and Elvis started his residency in 69. So I guess yeah. this is where Richard Dawson got it from. Or maybe yeah. this is just what old dudes just did. Old white dudes did back At the, in the time, day. they just yeah. like open mouth kissed everybody. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. I also, I did not know that Elvis died at 42. That's kind of wild to me that he was that young and that. Uh, far gone. I've got two more years yeah. until I beat Elvis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he may be number one on the solo rock charts, but you're number one in living. <laughs> oh. oh, so don't jinx it. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. Um, but so, so I don't, you know, like, again, I don't, we've covered most of the plot. It's his life. It's not that interesting. What is interesting mm. is uh, of the Academy Awards, this might win. The one that is being the most talked about and highly considered is for the performance of Austin Butler as Elvis. Uh, yeah. Now, here's what I will say. Uh-huh. He was good. He did a pretty good job. Uh-huh. Um, 
The problem is because of Baz Luhrmann, he never had to do a good job for more than like 13 seconds at a time. Right. The take, the cuts were just so rapid fire that he would deliver one line and he could like, there was no monologuing. There was no like emotional experience that he was expected to portray. Mm -hmm. There was one moment of anger on stage where he fires his, you know, Colonel Tom Parker. There was one moment with his dad later on in the, in the hotel suite. That's kind of it. And it's like, and he when did a and good when Elvis impersonation Priscilla leaves leaves him yeah, right yeah. the what here's what I'll say about the performance I honestly just felt like it was a kid playing dress up mm-hmm. all the way until he did the the Christmas special performance sure and then at that part I was like okay like the sort of cliche of he's been transformed into this character I like I will say like I was like okay he's been kind of transformed into this character yeah you know and by the end of it when they do that very final performance uh, a couple months before he passes away yeah. you know they toggled back and forth they switched back and forth between the two the the acting performance yeah. and the actual performance and i said to myself like oh uh who which one are we looking so at that's the real of us is right? that the real yeah. one yeah. you know like so maybe that's just like music like the prosthetics or or whatever right. but uh also um spoiler elvis dies at the end <laughs> Uh, yes, that, that's true. Um, everyone in this movie is dead now, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, one thing that Austin Butler said, uh, about playing Elvis that sort of brought him to the character was that, uh, Elvis lost his mother at a young age. So when his mother died, Elvis was 23. Mm. Um, Austin Butler also lost his mom when uh, he was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. He's 32 now, I believe. Um, and so he used that shared pain to sort of add grief into his performance, especially post that, that happening in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, as you mentioned, as you called out, um, early in the movie, young Elvis is blonde. Right. Um, later on, he's dark hair. Well, he dyes his hair. Um, he actually uses makeup like mascara and Elvis, uh, does? Elvis does. Yep. Oh, okay. Or did. Um, and Austin Butler is also a natural blonde. So they, they dyed his hair and put wigs on him as needed. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that Elvis dyed his hair black. I wonder yep. if you like, if he was just like, oh, it'll make my like blue eyes pop or what the the reasoning is behind that. Yeah. I think it was like that, like cool 1950s guy kind of slick back black hair kind of deal. Maybe. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, I guess I, I could see that. They mentioned his they, they do mention briefly his like makeup that he wears or whatever. Yeah. Um, in his very, very first performance that Tom Parker sees. Yeah. Yeah. The. uh the other thing is, so when when um, originally uh, trying to to apply for the role, um, Austin Butler did uh, a, a reading like to camera, and he felt that he was like um, too, uh, like he was basically doing an Elvis impersonation right. rather than like acting. Right. Um, and so he had some sort of like moment where he thought about like his mom passing away and like went down and like recorded himself playing something. I forget what, what song they said it was. Um, Unchained Melody, that's what it was, okay. um, on the piano and doing an Elvis impersonation. And basically like broke down crying and like having a, a breakdown and sent that in as his audition tape. And Balsarman was like, are, are you okay? <laughs> and But apparently they, they talked it out and like he figured out like, you know, how they could, could do that, um, that role with him pulling on that emotion. So is he playing guitar and piano and everything? To the best of my knowledge, this yeah. role? Yep. Okay. Now, keep in mind, Elvis uh, didn't always play the guitar. Like a lot of times he'd wear it around his neck and everybody else would be doing stuff. Well, I was, was going to say, yeah. there's a lot of images in this where it's yeah, more yeah. of an accessory. Yeah. And so that's, you know, he was never the the best musician, but it's a was, very big fanny pack cross body belt. <laughs> yes. He did surround himself with great musicians though. Yeah. Um, I would also say that uh, as Baz Luhrmann was looking over auditions um, that Denzel Washington called him up uh, just mm-hmm. sort of out of the blue um, unprovoked and said that he had just co-starred with Austin Butler in the Iceman Cometh on um, the play. And he, he had rave reviews about how good Austin Butler was saying, uh, you're in for a surprise when you see the work ethic of this young man. So got a got a, a nice promotion from Denzel there, nice. um, which is great. And then, uh, you know, Austin Butler had worked on this film basically for two and a half years. And he felt like that he was going to have like massive depression afterwards after moving out of it. Right. Um, but Bos Lerman and Tom Hanks were there to sort of help him along, say, you know, jump into something else. 
um, read books uh, and have nothing, they have nothing to do with the project, sort of just stay busy. And then um, he's shooting something called Masters of the Air, which comes out this year. Um, he's also in Dune Part Two as oh. Fade or whatever that guy's character's name is. Fayed. Fayed, yeah, the the Harkonnen son. Okay. Yeah. All right. I well, okay. So I, I see that he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Who was yep. his character? Tex Watson. Who yeah, was that? Yeah, he was the guy who ran that ranch. Neck that was um oh. friends with Charles Manson. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff for a long time it looks was, like yeah i mean he's, he was a disney kid but yeah back, like iCarly, hannah montana that kind of stuff so he came out of those ranks right right so i mean you know good for him good for him i think again i think his performance was great i think he was served poorly by the director give him one scene that is two minutes long where he is just monologuing or like responding to another character and we don't cut away from him right, right. get it all in one shot let the let the boy act you know, boy, 32 year old man. Whatever. Um, so anyway, that, that was my complaint, but I I think he did a good job uh, overall. They said he actually, and and times had to spend about four hours in makeup for prosthetics, um, especially as Elvis aged. Right. 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 So that was a big part of it. I think that they probably could have done a little better, um, in the first two thirds of the film. Cause he kind of looks the same. He's like skinny mm-hmm. and in, in pretty good shape Face is like, you know, maybe makeup, but like still pretty. There's a, yeah. There's a point in between, you know, big chonk and Elvis yeah. and skinny Young 20, 20 Elvis, Elvis where yeah. he's like, he's like grown man thick. Right. He's like, I've been in the army. Right. I, I've, I've, you know, done Hollywood movies where I'm the action. My, lead. my neck yeah. is thicker. I'm more bulked up. Yeah. I've got just like some, like health, healthy, yeah. like, you know, muscle on me. Right. And they sort of skipped right past that. Very much so. Yep. So, uh, all in all, like, I think that that is, uh, that's our discussion of the movie. Well, well I'm going to get into the re- the reception real quick, but first I, I want, before we even get to that, I want to know what you thought about it. Like, would you recommend it? Are you surprised you got a best picture nom? Like what's your thoughts? I mean, I'm not surprised it got a Best Picture nod because it feels like the kind of movie that the Academy eats up. And the boomers love. It's the it's just the kind of thing, like... It's Bohemian Rhapsody. It's the kind it's... of thing that is artsy enough and flashy enough that people will say, like, oh, this should get an award. Right. And not, you know, it, it, it reminds me of when I did forensics back in college. Yeah. And it's, which is for people who don't know what forensics is, it's basically just the other, the, the term that people who actually do speech and debate give for speech and debate. But there's this whole other aspect to it where you do performative pieces that are like uh, competitive acting essentially. And you put together these pieces and you go and you perform them against other students and it's a whole big acting competition. And you can tell which ones are judge bait, Mm -hmm. right? You can tell which ones are awards bait. I was very good at like doing those pieces, right? But you know which ones are saying like, you're going to give me it. You're going to give me at least a a high score for this, right? right? Because I'm giving all the elements that you want and I'm doing it in that very specific way that I know that you like as a judge. Sure. And that's what this feels like. Um, Does it mean that it is like good? (laughs) No. Does it better anything? Yeah. Um, it, but I'm not surprised that it is. I here's here's what I will say is I, Austin Butler did a good job. Um, it was just a very annoying film to watch. <laughs> yeah. There, funny. there was one part that I at least did appreciate where, you know, Elvis is singing and it's a flashback to his early days watching music as a kid. Um, and then also to when he was like a young performer performing music yeah, and yeah. he's performing, I want to say you ain't nothing but a hound dog, but he's performing something that um, was like his very first single. It wasn't hound dog, but I know what you're talking about. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and I at least appreciated Boz Lerman drawing a very direct line right. from that early performance to his middle of the career or early career performance yeah. to his like final performance yeah. and saying like, this is where it all it was, came from. Yeah, it was Elvis's first recording and he was doing it on his comeback special. Right. And they cut back to him as a young boy right. peeking through the like speakeasy uh, door to hear like this older black man singing that song. Then it uh, cuts also to him 
recording that song as his first song in right. the record studio at Sun Records. So yeah, that's that, that I appreciated that too. I appreciated that. And, and then the bigger sort of thing related to that is that I appreciated how it shows Elvis's artistry, his showmanship. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if he ever wrote a single song. He just seems like the world's greatest cover artist currently. Right. But he did he did a really great job of elevating music or transforming music to whatever his, not elevating but transforming it to his own style yeah right and to create this whole other thing that like there's nobody like elvis right right you know performing and and creating like his own big sound that they you know mentioned yeah i yeah. appreciate that i appreciate his um his sense of fashion (laughs) a little bit more just in the context of what was around. Yeah. I'll cover that in a sec. Um, It just, it, it it was always just this sort of like alien weird thing to me growing up, this like phenomena phenomenon of Elvis. So it just, it puts all of that into context for me to help me appreciate that better. Assuming that any of this is true, which again, I just can't because it just all feels fake. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to a lot of other music biopics, right? So I thought that we were out of this as a society. I thought we had decided we were done with these. Like we did Ray in 2004. We did Walk the Line in 2005. Mm -hmm. I thought that was it. Like we had a bunch after that that didn't go anywhere all the way up until I think that the one that really hit was, you know, maybe straight out of Compton in 2015. Um, Then we had in 2021, uh, Jennifer Hudson doing Aretha Franklin. Oh, in 2019, we had the Rocket Man film with uh, Elton John. And then Bohemian Rhapsody. Then we had Bohemian Rhapsody in 2018. Uh, And so it's like that, that we're having a comeback 2018, 2019, uh, 2021, now Elvis in 2022. We also had a Whitney Houston one in 2022. Right, right. I did want to watch that one, but I haven't heard anything about it. I heard it was okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm like, I don't need these anymore. I love music. I love movies. I've realized I don't particularly like music in the movies mixed like this anyway. Yeah. Um, Well, the studios agree with you because I think they canceled the Madonna one. Oh, thank God. Apparently, audiences are back. This movie made $151 million in the U.S. It made another $136 internationally for a total of $287 million on an $85 million budget. Okay. And not only that, it was nominated for eight Oscars. So obviously, we know Best Picture, uh, but it was also nominated for Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, Mm. which it better not win with that Tom Hanks makeup. Anyway, uh, Best Sound, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Austin Butler, Best Achievement in Cinematography for Mandy Walker, which great. You know, that's a a woman uh, from Australia who's been a cinematographer on a lot of Baz Luhrmann stuff. So Mm -hmm. great. Good nom. Uh, Achievement in Costume Design for Catherine Martin, who is Baz Luhrmann's wife. Okay. Um, By the way, they had to make over 9,000 costumes for this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, Achievement in Film Editing, which again, better not win. And uh, Achievement in Production Design. So, you know, eight nominations, uh, some below the line, but like some pretty big ones above the line. You know, Best Actor in a Leading Role. Uh, and best picture, it's it's got some love mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it also so um, Austin Butler was nominated but did not win the SAG Award for Male Actor in a Leading Role. Mm-hmm. It was won by Brendan Fraser, um, and he did win the Golden Globe for performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. Um, it was nominated for best picture drama and best director um, in the Golden Globes and did not win those. But so what we're gonna see is. I think Austin Butler is the hands-on favorite right now for winning the Academy Award for Best Actor. Is Brendan Fraser not nominated? Brendan Fraser is nominated. So is Colin Farrell. Those are the three. It'll be one of those three, probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, almost certainly. Whom? I do not know. My heart stands with Colin Farrell. Would would be fine if Brendan Fraser won. I don't think that movie is very successful from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get the feeling this is buzzy. This is, you know, just... It just sucks in all the boomers, all the Elvis was so important. He's doing such a good job with that performance. And he's a young up and coming star. We got to give him the thing. I don't know. It's going to be like when uh, Joaquin Phoenix won for Johnny Cash. Like, <sighs> We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I need to think about it. Are we going to do anything where we talk about our Oscar predictions? Yeah, we'll do that next week. So when we do Fablemans, it's yeah. going to be an Oscar preview. Right. We'll walk through some of the top line, you know, the top six, basically actor, actress, director, best picture. Mm-hmm. We'll make our predictions and we'll see how we fare. All right. All right. Um, 
couple last little bits of trivia for you. Okay. So Elvis Presley would regularly collaborate with an R&B gospel group called The Sweet Inspirations. Okay. Um, one of the people in that group was Sissy Houston, the mother of Whitney Houston. Okay. Whitney Houston would then go on to become the award-winning singer of I Will Always Love You, which was originally written and sung by Dolly Parton. That's right. Elvis had originally wanted to record that song, mm. but uh, Tom Parker told Elvis that if he was going to record the song, uh, Dolly Parton would have to relinquish all song rights. She said, fuck that. <laughs> so yeah. once again, we stand a legend. Dolly Parton forever. <laughs> Love her. She's, Love her. She's fantastic. No, that's, I mean, it's just a small little music world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I just, it, look, any chance I can to shine a little light on Dolly Parton's day. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I, You know, the, the final thing to talk about, I think, is just um, how much of a grifter <laughs> that Tom Parker was. Yeah. And I just, I do feel bad for Elvis. Sure. It just in As portrayed in the film, yeah. As portrayed in the film, right? Like it just, it seems like he was just taking advantage of yeah. just his entire career by kind of, I mean, just like every star, right? That you sort of yeah. see in these films is just like every person around them is just glad handing and taking mm -hmm. advantage and stealing every little bit. And it's like, it it's it's sad. And then he just- I mean, he 42 geek, is, is really young. Yeah, he was just a geek in the circus side show of Hollywood <laughs> and the music industry, baby. Okay, well, I was trying to be serious, but I guess we're going to call it. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, it's it's time to go. We got to get out of here. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, no, I don't recommend this. But, <laughs> um, but if I'm talking to somebody who... If my mom asks, yeah, mom, you should watch this. I can tell you who would enjoy it. Do yeah. I, do I, am I going to tell them that they should watch it because it will make the world better no that's like. not why we recommend anything around here <laughs> like if you're if you're over the age of 60 and you remember seeing elvis as a person yeah watch it whatever i mean you'll like it but watch yeah. something else <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well thanks everybody for listening uh please remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast share with a friend if you can read our newsletter please got a new one coming out soon Ooh, what's it about i gotta tell you Whoa. two weeks you'll find out in two weeks <sighs> all right all right. All right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, find us on Twitter. We are at The Crosscut. On Instagram, we are at The Crosscut Pod. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Love you. Bye. Bye. We're all right, Mama. Bye. <laughs>